Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, uh, this is my first time back. Uh, at a pulpit after three months. And so, uh, three months, you know, I've not been preaching. And then, uh, this is my first time speaking to a live audience in over a year. Can you imagine that? And uh, my first attempt at shortening my hour 10 minute, let's be frank here, hour 10 minute thing into 30 minutes. And so, uh, yeah, we'll be celebrating a couple of miracles here today. You know, the miracle of Christ's resurrection and the miracle of a short Andre sermon. Whichever more significant, I leave it to you. Lah. Huh? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty significant. All right. Um, well, you know, if this is our first time here, welcome to our church. So glad to have you join us on this special Sunday. Uh, you know, here at the city, we do have a teaching rhythm. We value scripture. We love going to God's word. Uh, but, you know, for today, you know, I think one of the things that uh, will be, it's, it's my goal. It's for us to hear of the story of Jesus, his resurrection, and for us to come back to a place of wonder and awe. You know, I heard this quote recently that the goal of theology is not so much soteriology, which is salvation, but the goal of theology is doxology. It is for us to hear of God's word and, be, and come back into a place of wonder and awe all so that we may sing, praise, and worship our God. And so that's what we want to do today. We have a sermon series coming up uh, two weeks from now. It's called Enduring Faith, where we'll be covering stuff like doubt, disappointment, disillusionment, and despair, all fun stuff. And so that's coming up uh, two weeks from now. But today, you know, I want to talk about a resurrection. I want to talk about resurrection. We had a great time this morning. I trust you'll be the same uh, today as well. Before we get going, I have a statement that I'd like to put up on screen. Can I have that slide up? The slide is simple, uh, the statement is simple. It's, I've seen God blank, and you can fill it in with an act. I believe in resurrection power. I've seen God blank, I believe in resurrection power. And so I want you today, you know, even whilst we explore God's word together, to have that statement uh, kept in front of you, really. And to, in your own way, in your, with your own stories, fill in that blank. Anywhere from three to seven words. And I encourage you to do so because I will be checking on your homework at the end of the service. Lah, huh? So you don't want to be caught off guard. Okay? That joke did not go well. But please, you know, really encourage you to participate. I implore you to do so. Um, yes. So I've seen God blank. I believe in resurrection power. Amen. All right, uh, let us begin with a word of prayer. Uh, as many of you know that uh, next week we will uh, have live singing back in this hall. That's something really exciting. Live singing back in this hall. So excited for this hall to be filled with singing once again. I don't know how many of you feel this like internal tension and turmoil and this almost fear. You know, when you sing, you, you're afraid like uh, one of a safe distancing guy will go, aha, you sing. And uh, that hasn't happened yet, you know. But I don't know whether how many of you feel this like tension and turmoil and angst almost inside of you over the last few weeks as we come together. You want to sing, but you cannot sing. And uh, isn't it great to know that next week we will have that release, you know, to sing? Amen? Amen? You know, but, but one of the things I want us to have in our minds even as we come to God in prayer is that, you know, this uh, coming or impending release that many of us will feel next week, that doesn't happen for many people. Today, you know, we live in a world full of injustice and unrest. And for many people, they have their voices quite literally silenced. And so today, as we come to God in prayer on this Resurrection Sunday, let's come to God believing for His resurrection power to touch people in need. 
Amen? The resurrection isn't just an event that we commemorate some 2,000 years ago. The resurrection is a reality that we can experience here and now. God is still resurrecting people today. Amen? Let us come to God in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and thank you for the gathering of the saints. God, we thank you for the promise of scripture that tells us that you are here with us. When two or three are gathered in your name, you are here. Not just as a theoretical concept or just a vain historical figure that we explore, but you are here. Your very presence is here. And God, we pray today that even as we celebrate your resurrection from the dead, Lord, let this reality penetrate and invade the injustices and the unrest of our world. Lord, we remember all who suffer today, and God, we speak forth your resurrection power. And God, we pray today that even as we gather and read of your word and celebrate, Holy Spirit, won't you come and do a fresh work in our hearts? Come fire, come wind, come breath, come teacher, come counselor, come as you will, come as you like. We open up our hearts. We make room for you, oh God. Come and meet us here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, before we get going, you know, I would love to read a passage of scripture uh, that you know, is the resurrection account. And I believe that the passage in and of itself is powerful. We can close off this passage and go into singing. But I believe as we read God's word, it helps shape our heart, our mind, our posture, even as we lean in to hear from God today. Amen. Let's read uh, Luke 24 together, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but is... Come on. He is not here but is... Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you know, Today, I'm, let me be up front of you, I'm gonna get Pentecostal on you. We're pretty Pentecostal, and so, you know, Pentecostal services means there'll be a bit of response here. Yeah? You know, I like the amen, the hallelujah. We cannot run the aisles because of safe distancing. I like uh, sound doctrine, and so, you know, we have it here, we have a saying here in the city, more response means this thing will go a lot faster, amen? Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, uh, well, uh, last Friday, you know, uh, on Good Friday, I had the opportunity to serve uh, a group of guest workers in, uh, in a recreation center in Tuas. And so, and many of you know that uh, the city has been, uh, you know, providing aid and relief and also befriending a group of brothers uh, from uh, the dormitories. But uh, we had the opportunity to serve them with an Easter Good Friday carnival. Uh, we did things like, you know, set up game booths like basketball, archery. Uh, there was an art therapy kind of thing. Uh, so it was a beautiful time where we got to interact, befriend them, as well as serve them. Now, one of the booths that we had uh, in the carnival was a Good Friday, Easter Sunday kind of quiz, right? And so our team set up a quiz with all sorts of Good Friday, Easter kind of trivia. Uh, have you know that I scored full marks, uh, which you know, I'm really proud of, and I uh, think pretty necessary, la, or, or else I should be sitting down there. Yeah, I scored full marks, 
Thank you. Uh, but, but you know, uh, we, we had the trivia, and the questions are like, you know, uh, why do we celebrate Good Friday? And of course, we know Jesus died and was crucified on Good Friday. Why do we celebrate Easter Sunday? Because Jesus rose from the dead. You know, he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave. And where's Jesus now in heaven? And so, you know, we had this quiz where many people just came in, scores after scores of them just answering these questions, just taking the boxes and leave, leaving with the prize. I remember standing there just watching, like, person after person and come and answer these questions, profoundly struck. Because here was a claim that we were making, an extraordinary claim, that Jesus had rose from the grave. It's an extraordinary claim that perhaps, you know, through life and through maybe, you know, just being in this environment for so long, we have grown callous to. Right? You know, I remember um, a few years ago, I was in a Toys R Us. Don't ask me why I was in Toys R Us. Uh, I was in a Toys R Us, and I remember I was walking one of the aisles, and uh, there was this conversation I overheard between a mother and a child. The child was asking the mother, like, Mommy, why do we have this long holiday? Why do we, what is Easter Sunday? Why do we celebrate Easter Sunday? And the mom replied to her son in a very matter-of-fact way, Oh, uh, we, there's Easter because those Christians believe that they are God, didn't stay dead, but came out of, uh, but rose from the dead. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but say the very matter of fact, those Christians, they believe that their God didn't die, but then came back three days later. Then the boy was like, oh, okay. Then he went on to play with more toys. And I bet for most of you, you thought that yesterday was Sunday, and then you woke up and you're like, oh, it's not Sunday, bonus day, young Luke can, hallelujah, yay. But here's the point I'm making. The extraordinary claim that we make this weekend that Christ has risen from the dead, if it is true, it makes this the most important weekend in human history, in all of existence. Christ is risen from the dead. Amen? How can I have a message without a Bonhoeffer quote? He says this, we have grown so accustomed to the idea of divine love that we no longer sense the awe that God's coming should awaken in us. And I was recently moved by this story of Evan Roberts, and many of us know him as this Welsh revivalist. And there's this story of Evan walking into a church building that had the traditional stained glass. And he walked in and saw this stained glass depiction of Jesus on the cross, and he stood in front of it. He stood in front of it, and he noticed that he wasn't moved to tears. And so he came to the immediate assumption that he had already backslidden. And he decided to take two months out of his preaching ministry to go deep into the word and prayer so that he may be moved in tears again. And perhaps that's what we need to come to today. We need to be moved once again. Perhaps, you know, we need to come to a place beyond treating the resurrection callously and for it to evoke in us a deep sense of gratitude for all Christ has done for us. Amen. And that's what we endeavor to do today, to come to a place where we are moved to worship once again at the mention of Jesus' name. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? May we be moved, church. Perhaps today is a day to both remember and celebrate, to be moved in our hearts again by the awe and wonder that is the resurrection. Because hear me saying this, the gospel is simple, but it's not simplistic. And today we rejoice at the wonder of the resurrection. So my title for my message today and the question that I'm endeavoring to answer is this. Why does the resurrection matter? Why does the resurrection matter? What has changed? Why do we remember? Now, I don't know about you. I started 2021, you know, I ushered in the new year 
Countdown with Friends 2020 with this kind of hope and optimism in my heart. You know, I was like, whatever 2020 was, done, dusted, over, you know, and now I'm crossing into the new year. And it's 2021, it's going to be bright, beautiful, sunshiny day. And I remember just being utterly disillusioned after the first week of January. Uh, we all know a bunch of stuff happened in 2021 already. The unrest in Myanmar, the siege on the capital, racially motivated attacks on Asian minority communities, and the revelation of a life of duplicity by one of Christianity's most beloved voices. In an article titled, You Thought 2020 Was Bad, a journalist writes, after a year widely panned as one of the worst in modern history, the United Nations is warning 2021 could be even more awful, with top officials saying the new year could be the worst in terms of humanitarian catastrophes in the organization's 75-year history. And of course, we have Satan shoes. We have got it all wrong, folks. The devil does not wear Prada. He wears Nike Air Maxes. Um, now, when we encounter such years or events in our lives, many of us make sense of it by conveniently sweeping it under a kind of apocalyptic timeline. Because, you know, the world is ending, because lawlessness will abound, this is just part and parcel of life. Now, while that is true in many ways, I believe it ignores two realities. One, it ignores the believer's responsibility to be stewards of the earth. And second, it ignores the reality and the consequence of sin that causes such brokenness in our world. Now, one of the exclusive claims of scripture is that all of the brokenness of the world all of the strife, the pandemic, the enmity between brothers have a common root system, and that is sin. That is sin. Now, sin, in reality, is language that we are not too fond of today. What previous generations called sin, today we have a way of explaining it away. We call it a personality type, or dysfunction, or a person's self-expression. We use the word sin loosely uh, in our everyday vernacular. We call that chocolate cake while we're on a keto diet as also sinful, right? We use the word sin loosely. Now, we may have taken away the language of sin, but hear me in saying this, we have not taken away the reality and the consequence of sin. Sin does not only have a personal effect, it has a corporate effect. It ripples out into our world through our interactions and decisions and has a compounding corporate effect. That's why all through the Bible, we see God addressing his people and their sinfulness. We know this passage, 2 Chronicles, it says this, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. Notice that God addresses and specifically calls his people to faithfulness. It's as though to say that if his people were to walk in a kind of personal faithfulness, it would have a compounding corporate effect in our world. And so often we distance ourselves from the evil and the darkness of the world as though we have no responsibility. But we need to come back to a holy recognition that our sin personal as it may be, affects the world in which we live in. It does. 
We think of sin often as an archaic concept, right? That we so distance ourselves from. But sin, simply put, is turning away from God and turning to ourselves for fulfillment. It's believing that we are the center of the universe and that our own self is sovereign. Sin is idolatry. It's giving in to the familiar gods of our culture, possessions, pleasure, people, power. Sin is lawlessness. It's utter disregard for the ways of God. Sin is adultery. It's forsaking God and being promiscuous with our soul. And sin is falling short. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 says this, that as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now you may ask me today, Andre, why are we talking about sin? Today is Easter, what? Today is like hot cross buns, eggs, celebrate. Woo, woo, woo. You know, why are we talking about sin in the first place? Like get the program, Andre, the sin talk was two days ago. But today, why are we talking about sin? Because hear me in saying this. We have to first of all remember that it wasn't just Roman soldiers, the religious elite that put Jesus on the cross. We all did. Jesus didn't just die for our sins, he died as us. He took on the entire weight of our sin, its penalties, and he took it upon himself on the cross. Jesus was the penal substitutionary atonement for our sin. And we need to hold both the cost of our sin and the wonder of God's grace in the same light. Just as you would put a gem on a ring setting in order to bring out its brilliance and beauty and wonder. We have to view the resurrection of Christ in the setting of our sin and depravity. And that makes the work of Calvary ever more brilliant and ever more glorious. And it leads us to a place of deep gratitude. Amen? And that was what the angel was trying to say in that passage that we just read in Luke 24. It says this, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. And they remembered the words. It's as those who say to us today, remember the purpose of the resurrection. Remember why it had to happen. It's because of our sin, because of our fallenness, because we were once transgressors, alienated from God. But through the resurrection, we are now reconciled. In the words of Paul, it says this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. To say that Jesus conquered sin is not to just say that our sins have been forgiven. It is to fundamentally announce that sin, the principle that once held the world captive, has been overcome, has been defeated, has been destroyed. Our moral progress, our wealth, our know-how, our education cannot overcome sin. Only the cross can overcome sin. I just got Pentecostal on you people. Come on. The resurrection says to us that the worst thing is not the last thing. Sin does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. Injustice does not have the final word. Violence does not have the last word. Cancer does not have the last word. The cross has the last word. Now, sorry, this is a cardio workout, and I've not done this often, but now, during the peak of the pandemic, uh, uh, you know, 
people note that um, this movie from 2011 called Contagion uh, re-emerged into the charts of uh, iTunes and, and several uh, movie sites, you know, and people were just downloading this, renting this, and watching this movie at the peak of the pandemic, which begs this question, why are millions of people watching a movie about a pandemic that is killing millions of people whilst being in a pandemic at the same time, where many people are fearful for their lives, are grappling with the fear of death. Now, some have theorized that there is a human desire, an innate need to plot our fear into a story or narrative in order to make sense of it. Now, if you've seen enough pandemic or zombie movies, you know that they all have a kind of Christological motive, meaning that there's always like this one guy who would sacrifice of his life and like, you know, lay it down in order to save everyone. And then at the end of the movie, it's always like a sunrise and a horizon and it's like a new dawn and a new place and it's like a whole new world kind of thing. There's this Christological motif all through the movies. Now these movies capture the deep intrinsic desire and need of the human soul to have a story like that to make sense of the painful realities of life. But as Christians, our claim today is that this is not the stuff of Hollywood, nor the stuff of legends. It is reality, it is true. The Messiah has laid down his life for us. He sacrificed of himself so that we may be free. And today we have hope, not just to live well in the present, but hope of a future that's far more glorious than today. There's coming a day where all pain, all tears will be eclipsed by the glory and wonder of God. There's coming a day. Resurrection matters because the issue of our sin and our soul's longing for a story that helps make sense of all the painful realities of life finds fulfillment in the resurrection. The darkness of Friday, the uncertainty of Saturday finds resolution in the glory of Sunday. And that's why 1 Peter says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection validates all of Jesus' claim and proclaims that He is Lord. Now, the word for Lord in the Bible is this word kyrios, which is a Greek proper term for Yahweh. And so when you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, you're saying that He is the creator stepping into creation. He is where humanity and divinity meet. He is Lord. He is Yahweh in the flesh. And how did they come to the conclusion? Short answer, Resurrection Sunday. That is when people begin to worship and profess that He is truly Lord. He is Yahweh, for He has defeated death. Jesus is alive, not dead. He's here, not far away. He's not just a man in the past. He's present in our sufferings and our hope for the future. That is the heart of the gospel. That is good news. Now I'll close off with one final question, and that is this. What implications does the resurrection have for us today? What implications? What does it mean for us? What has changed because of the resurrection? Now, of course, there are several objections, historical objections to the resurrection account and story. Some believe that Jesus simply fainted. He didn't die, um, which is something, you know, I, I mean, if Christ himself did CrossFit, I don't think he'll be fit enough to, 
endure the sufferings of the cross and just emerge on the other side completely unscathed. Uh, some believe that uh, there was a brother, a look-alike brother that they kept away for such a purpose and they replaced him. Uh, and some believe that the disciples just hallucinated the whole thing. They just made the whole story up to further their ideology. Now, these are, there are very easy objections to these claims that I won't have time to go into, but I would just like to make a point here. If you were a decent storyteller, I don't think that you would have concluded the Gospels the way you did. If you're a decent storyteller, I don't think you, have you would have concluded the Gospels the way you did. Right? If you read the, the post-resurrection stories and accounts, right, they, were, they, they don't look like, they were like there was like this common thread through. It was just simply events that happened and it just put together as a matter of fact. And there was no like climatic end. There was no like showdown. There was no like removal of oppressive power. There was none of that. One of the things that I found so tender and compelling about the person of Christ is what he did post-resurrection. And there's this period of time that we don't talk about often in church called Easter tide. And that is the 40 days following Christ's resurrection before his ascension. Now, if you were Christ, right, what will you do with that 40 days? Right? You have just defeated death, hell on the grave, you have all power and you have this limited window to advance, to establish your kingdom before you hand it over to your disciples to build the church. That's, that is last thousands of years. Right? What will you do? What will you do if you were Christ? Right? If you were me, simple. Just straight shot down to Rome. Like, hey, Caesar, you say you're a Lord. Well, I am the Lord. So how do you want to settle this? You take it outside or whatever. Or, you know, Go to Athens, Mars Hill, go to all the Greek philosophers. Hey, you know, you guys have been debating for centuries about who the Logos or what the Logos is. I am the Logos. Nice. Debate done. Or go to the religious elite. Yo, you guys got the wrong man, right. right? Or raise an army, right? Build and establish a kingdom. Jesus did none of that. What did he do post-resurrection? He went to his friends who were confused fearful and doubtful. He came to them and he restored them. He restored them. The resurrection reveals to us God's plan for radical restoration. When Jesus rose from the dead, he did not go to the centers of power. Instead, he showed up to his friends who were fearful, confused, doubting and restored them. He did so so that they would understand his love we read this through the post-resurrection account. He appears to his friends who were huddled up in a home fearful for their lives. He appears to Thomas who was doubtful and cynical. And he appeared to the two who were on the road to Emmaus, presumably walking away from Jesus, his call, his way. And this is the magnitude of God's love on display. Here we see that Jesus in his love is walking with people who are walking away from him. Isn't that so tender? and compelling. The resurrection shows us God's heart for those who struggle with their faith. It's almost as though we can say that doubt does not push God away. Instead, he's drawn to doubt to those who struggle so that he may reveal himself such that they may be restored, such that they may trust again. God is tender, kind, and loving. It's not only that, the resurrection invites us. It reveals God's invitation to a radical mission. 
Christ in the post-resurrection story also appears to Peter whilst he was fishing. And Peter, we all know, was a fisherman by trade before he became a disciple. And Peter had presumably gone back to his previous occupation, granted probably because of fear or feeling unqualified because of his denial of Christ. And then Jesus comes to him and say, yo, Peter, sheep, not fish. If you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He calls him back and restores him and gives him a calling and a purpose. See, the surest evidence of the resurrection beyond the empty tomb is the transformed disciples who one day were huddled up in homes, fearful for their lives, and the next, boldly proclaiming the gospel even unto death. They have seen the risen Christ. They've experienced his resurrecting power, and now they boldly proclaim of his name even unto death. And we see this happen not just in the pages of scripture, but in our world today. I remember a story that a friend shared with me uh, of a child soldier who turned into a pastor, one who mercilessly, mercilessly killed others to one who was caring, the souls, caring for the souls of others. I know the story of a pastor who, executive pastor, who was once a drug pusher, once a drug pusher, you know, I know you need a lot of administration to push drugs well, and so that kind of translated to his new vocation, executive pastor of a church. And these are not isolated stories. You know, I look out upon you and I see those stories played out. You know, I see you know, we had Kelvin in the first service and we know that he experienced the resurrecting power of Christ while he's going through a health crisis. I look at some of you and I know your stories. I know where you were before Christ came to your life and how he's redeemed, restored you, given you a calling and a purpose. How is all that possible? The resurrection. The resurrection makes it all possible. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We celebrate today, not just because the resurrection happened 2,000 years ago, but because the resurrection is happening to people like you and me in 2021 Singapore. The spirit is still at work. God is alive and he's moving in our midst. Close off with my now favorite Easter quote. Changes every year. Philip Yancey says this. In many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be loose out there somewhere. And I put it to you that he is loose today. In 2021 Singapore, he is loose in you, he is loose in me, for we have seen the resurrecting power of our God. He who has risen from the dead, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, now gives life to our mortal beings, such that we may proclaim of his goodness, such that we may proclaim that we have seen his power. He is indeed alive and he is indeed risen. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, so, so, so standing here today, you know, I, I, I'm taken back to that conversation that I overheard in Toys R Us, you know, where the mother tells the son, ah, yeah, those Christians, they believe that their God didn't die but came back from the grave. That's why we have Easter. I think back on the conversation and something rises in me to go, yes, I am one of those Christians. 
yes, I hold to this extraordinary claim. It has indeed happened. And it's not just a historical event. It is a reality that I'm living and breathing and witnessing happen to those around me. Christ is risen indeed. Now in closing, you know, I want to speak specifically to members of our church. You know, I know there are some of you who are guests and uh, thanks so much for coming. But I want to speak to members of our church today. You know, I know that majority of people here are people who regularly attend our church and who profess to be followers of Jesus, committed to his ways. Now I want to speak to you specifically. You know, um, as, as I was preparing this, I remembered this story that a friend shared with me. Uh, this friend, you know, he was witnessing to someone, you know, just sharing of the gospel, just presenting the gospel to this person. And at the end of the presentation, uh, the person uh, replied and said, if what you're saying is true, and if it's really that good, why is this the first time I'm hearing about it? The person goes on to say, I have Christian friends. I know many Christians in my life. And if, re- if it's really that true, if it's really that good, why is this the first time I'm hearing about it? Now, isn't that sobering? Because the truth is for many of us, we don't think that we are smart enough, eloquent enough to present the gospel to another. But I take heart at the call of Jesus who calls us to be witnesses, not stage evangelists, not apologists. He calls for all of us to be witnesses. God does not call us to be predominantly intellectual, such that we may convince others, or charismatic or eloquent or slick, so that we may pitch Christianity. He calls us to be witnesses. And the credibility of the witness is not tied to his or her intellect or eloquence. It's tied to the simple fact that he or she was there, had seen, had heard, experienced, and now boldly recount the story to others. God does not call us to be smart or slick. He calls us to see. And to be a greater witness, to be a better witness, means we are found right in the thick of God's activity, such that we may see, hear, experience, so that we may boldly proclaim of his goodness, of his resurrecting power that is still indeed at work among us. I thought that was good. You know, one of the metaphors of the church that I have a love-hate relationship thing with is this metaphor that the church is a hospital. Um, You know, but let's roll with it. If the church is to be like a hospital, then it needs to be a place where the broken are healed, where the sick are healed, but it's also to be a place where we see the joy of new birth. So let's be witnesses. Let's testify of God's resurrecting power in our lives, such that others may be drawn to his goodness and so believe the greatest evidence, one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection is not the empty tomb. It's the transformed disciples who now live a life of boldness, declaring the goodness of God. He is risen indeed, and his spirit lives in you for a purpose. Amen? So this is how we're going to end today. Remember the homework that I told you to do at the start? You know, I have this vision. Uh, You know, I thought we would be very much more Pentecostal these days. Um, You know, one of the stories I love of like the old revivals is that the preacher will be preaching midway 
And then, you know, someone will just randomly jump up and say, Preacher, I got to testify. I got to testify, you know. I feel it deep within my bones. It's like fire that I can't shut up anymore. I need to shout. I need to profess. I need to proclaim the goodness of God. That's just a vision. But, but you know what I desire for, how I desire for us to end today is to not just leave convinced by one man's preaching, but to hear of the stories of how God is moving in all your lives. And so what I'm going to do today, you know, is I have a couple of mics on the left and my right. And we're going to put that statement up again. I have seen God act. I believe in resurrection power.